Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge and as always joined by the fabulous Shelly Billinghurst. Shelly, how's it going? Thank you, Serge. I love your choice of words today. Thank you. Thank you. So Serge, you and I talked about what we believe our audience would love to hear. We found someone who is willing to come on and talk to us as a practitioner. I know I always want to hear what other companies have done and how they've grown their organization. And I'd like to introduce our special guest today, Mackenzie Hunter, who is the Senior Director of People and Culture at a company here in Canada called Seven Shifts. Mackenzie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me, you guys. I'm really looking forward to being here today and speaking with you. Well, thank you so much. It was really interesting how you and I got connected. And it Tell was- me the story. I don't even know. Yeah. I was at Wreckfest in London and got talking with someone at one of the events that was leading up to Wreckfest. He's an American. And he says, oh, I know somebody you should meet because he actually knew two Canadians. <laughs> He knows your CEO. And so he figured, well, you guys must know each other. And I said, no, I don't introduce us. That's how it came to be, was a very kind-hearted person said, oh, well, we must have these two Canadians talking to each other. That's how it happened. Well, I originally thought that you guys met at RecFest and you were at RecFest, Mackenzie. That's not the case, though. No, not at all. But our CEO, Jordan, he's fantastic. He would have been just as great to have on the show. He's a true culture champion. And so much of what I've learned has been from him. Wow. That's really something. Where we'd like to start, Mackenzie, is tell our audience about your journey being in HR, the recruitment industry. Tell me how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I'm from Saskatchewan. I went to the U of S studied commerce there. And for whatever reason, I can't even remember the day, but I just knew that I would major in HR. I love people. I love what makes them tick. I always say they're messy and they're beautiful. And so out of all the different areas, I was really drawn to recruitment and selection. Out of school, my first job, someone took a chance on me and I worked at a high volume staffing agency And it was not related to tech at all. We did a lot of administrative services, light industrial, which was my favorite. I'm a farm kid, so I think I was drawn to that blue collar world. And I had done that for a number of years. And as much as I enjoyed it, I really wanted to get a taste of other areas of HR. And through a mutual contact, I was introduced to our CEO, Jordan, and ended up joining Seven Shifts when we were about 40 people. So that was five years ago. And we'll be 350 employees soon here. So it has been a tremendous journey of growth and learning along the way. From 40 to 350. Holy smokes. I'm going to be completely naive. I'm not sure what Seven Shifts is. So do you mind giving us a little bit what the origin is and what you actually do? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why I joined the company is because we are tailored to the restaurant industry. Our origin story is our CEO, Jordan, his dad owned a Quiznos sub franchise location. And he always saw his dad stressing out about putting the schedule. You have to remember who has what availability, who's booked time off, who can handle peak rush periods. And you put it on this piece of paper and Excel print out in the staff room. and People have to drive in to see when they work next and they're amending it with sticky notes and crossing things out. And he just thought there's got to be a better way. As a passion project, he taught himself how to code and he started scheduling software for his dad. And it evolved over time, of course. And it's to the point now we're really focused on helping support the entire employee life cycle. So hiring, training, scheduling, paying, retaining 
staff all within the restaurant industry. Once they're scheduled to work, they can pick up shifts, they can drop shifts, they can communicate within it. It just makes it a dream. And I served all through university and it's something that I wish that we had. So adoption rate must be really something going from 40 to 350 employees. Like talk Mm -hmm. to me about that journey. Yeah, it's been so fun because when I first started, we really were focusing on hiring. That was a a key part of my role. And that brand awareness wasn't where it is today. We're in such a a nice spot now. People go, oh yeah, I've heard of Seven Shifts or they're seeking us out. And so about 85% of our customers are based out of the US, 10% in Canada, and then the balance international. Even through COVID, we saw such an uptick in adoption because restaurateurs who have always had razor thin margins are now saying, okay, we can't leave this up to human error to get wrong. We need to invest in restaurant tech. We need to be compliant with labor laws and all the different things that go with it so they can spend their time on more revenue generating activities as opposed to spending so much extra time being that office publishing that schedule. On that same topic, Mackenzie, so what's interesting is technology firms are creating technology, but do they also offer good technology for the TA function? And that was something I noticed immediately when I started researching Seven Shifts is you've really got some great technology. Can you talk a little bit about what sort of solutions you used as it applies to staffing your own company? Yeah, I only wish I could go back in time. We would have gotten an HRIS sooner. Onboarding is such a beast to not have to email out, you know, getting your payroll forms done and have that all automated and housed through a tool is so helpful. But, you know, everyone's really moving towards being more data driven. What is your HRIS? What is your ATS? Any other tools that you're leveraging there? Well, it's funny that you asked me that because we're actually in the middle of looking at the tools that we have. They've been great up to this point, but will they scale beyond the HRIS that we started with? And we use their applicant tracking system as well was Bamboo HR. I mean, it's so user-friendly. It's served us well, but the size that we're at now where we're growing, we need something a little bit more robust with more automated reporting and things like that. So earlier this year, when we were hiring so much, we actually switched to Greenhouse for our applicant tracking system, which has really increased visibility. Um, And we're currently assessing GEM as a sourcing CRM, which we're really excited about. A few members of our talent acquisition team have used it and have found tremendous value in it. Yes. Well, I'm a big fan of Greenhouse, so I'm happy to hear that. And I've leveraged Bamboo's HRAS in the past as well. The ATS is very basic, but I'll tell you, it's way better than most HRAS out there, mm-hmm. like comparing to Workday or Ultipro, all of those, I'll take Bamboo any day. So interesting, Gem. Not a lot of companies use what we call a CRM or a recruiting CRM. What's the philosophy? What are you trying to achieve there? I think we're just really big fans of sourcing ourselves, especially when it the talent market is crazy. I mean, people are getting reached out to all the time, especially like, let's say, software yeah. developers. And I think at a point, they've become a little bit allergic to cold reach outs. And, you know, what are things that we can do to make it more personalized? Well, maybe instead of sending them in mail, they get an email. Hearing straight from someone that's working at that company, people want to know, hey, you know what? I'm actually pretty happy, but... I'm always open to hearing about other opportunities. That's what people always say. And you're like, okay, great. Now I have that initial like coffee chat. It's my chance to really hook them. So just trying to increase that chance that someone will respond. And the second that we can tell our story or we started where we're headed, talk about our culture, people tend to be pretty interested. You recruit mostly software developers or project managers, product managers, UI designers. Are those the type of roles that you're going for? 
Yeah, absolutely. On the R&D side, truly every department, when you're growing that much, everyone's growing. For example, we ended last year with five people in the PNC team, and we're currently sitting at 16. You know, finance has grown a ton, sales, marketing, everybody. We ended last year with 195 team members. And we've grown to almost 350 so far this year. I mean, a big chunk of the company over the last 12 months, they've joined. What's your structure? So you're the director of talent acquisition. How are you structured internally? Our department, PNC, we're organized currently into four sub teams. So we have workplace experience. They really focus on general administration, social leasing. They really help make the world go round. Then we have the core people and planning team. That's where you think about your generalists, anything to do with people, programs, policies, compensation, benefits, all of that. Talent acquisition. And then new to us is learning and development as well. We added that at the start of the year. When you're hiring so much, our thought process is if we can invest in L&D, that'll be a differentiator for us. Big reason people leave, I'd say even above their relationship with their boss is, do they see opportunities for growth here? Mm. And so investing heavily in manager training and career development has been a big focus for us. Wow, good for you. Can I just ask, how did you decide to structure your TA team? How did you decide the reporting structure, the hierarchy of the team? I would say we honestly flew by the seat of our pants. It has just been such tremendous growth. And we're so picky about who we hire that it took us so long to find the team that we have now. We currently have a manager leading the team. She's fantastic. Three talent acquisition specialists. And one sourcer who actually, to be honest, is moving more into a formal sourcing role. She was really helping with coordination and scheduling up to this point where we're looking at our our whole flow. It's got us to where we are, but let's take this time to fine tune it. I think when you grow this much, our biggest theme has been, okay, what got us here might not get us there. Processes start to break and we're always trying to improve, whether that's tooling, like I mentioned, or taking a step back and going, well, we could probably iterate on this. Interesting on the sourcer. Sourcing role is really one that's been lost in talent acquisition overall. Mm-hmm. And there's different types of sourcers, right? There's the ones that it's really a profession. They're the best at finding people at places that we would never find them as recruiters. Mm-hmm. But I'm seeing a lot of people coming from the coordination, the more HR admin into a mm-hmm. sourcing role. Was it more the person because she had interest? Like, how did that come about? I mean, she's fantastic. We spend a lot of time looking at, of everyone we've hired, what was the source? And then we have started looking at what actually is our turnover rates by source. About 30% of the people that we hire come from employee referrals. About 30% are inbound applications. And then pretty much the balance would be headhunting. And when we headhunt, our turnover rates have been pretty low, which is really interesting. But once we started looking at that, we're like, okay, this is probably an area where we could be doing so much more than we already are. And having that person who's sitting in on that kickoff call with the hiring manager and knowing exactly what they want and saying, okay, great, find me your dream profile on LinkedIn. And once they have that, they go off a bit and they're trying to find maybe three or five more. It's really hard when you're a hiring manager and you're so busy and you're trying to hire all these people. And then someone's sending you 20 profiles and you're like, oh my God, when will I get to this? But if someone sends you like three, I can take a look. And yeah, I would love to reach out to them or have you reach out to them or whomever and just get that ball going. It feels digestible. And if you didn't proceed with any of those people, then it's okay. What did we learn? How do we go back to the drawing board? What do we think we needed versus what do we actually know that we need now? 
One of the things looking at your background and what you've been able to scale, it's one of the most challenging things to do in people in culture, right? A lot of companies don't feel like they even need people in culture until they hit maybe a hundred employees. But what a lot of founders don't realize is the minute you hit a hundred employees, the culture changes. A lot of them pride themselves on zero turnover and then suddenly you get to a hundred. Now you're trying to scale from 100 to 200. The culture changes. So you were employee number 40, looking at people culture side of it. Now that you have all that experience, knowing what you've done wrong, you've learned new things, what would you have done different? Hmm. I mean, I've been thinking more so about how you describe the different stages. It's like you said, in that early stage, people are great ideators or creative. They're wearing all these different hats. Yeah. And then you get to that next stage and you start to specialize and you're focused and you scale. I mean, when I look back, yes, there's a bajillion things we could have done better. There's a whole bunch of learnings. First and foremost, just starting with picking your job. There's three things that I got so lucky with here that I would do a thousand times over. So number one is, are you passionate about the product and the pain point it's trying to solve? Are you at a place where you can continue to learn and grow and make an impact? And are the people great? Because my God, you spend a lot of time with the people that you work with. And so if you have all three, like great, specifically, I guess, to answer your question, there's some tactical things, investing in tooling sooner. Like we got an HRIS probably at a point where I was drowning. We could have automated stuff so much sooner. And that ultimately it delays the need for a second hire. I think on the hiring front, what we've done a good job of is really being diligent and having senior leadership, like our CEO talks about this all the time about it's not just about filling open roles quickly. We need to focus on quality hiring. What does that look like? What do we expect from managers in terms of how much time we're spending on hiring when there's a big push? So I'm glad we did that because as a result, our culture has scaled. And what I wish we had done earlier, knowing that's something that we focused on, is invested in manager training sooner especially when you're growing so much and you're promoting so many people internally, it's one of the best parts of the job is to be able to see people grow. You see that spark and then you go, ah, yeah, we're going to nurture that here. But training takes a lot of effort. It's really helpful if you develop that in-house because nobody knows better than you what you expect, how to do those things. And I think all that ladders up to is retention because you can't fill a leaky bucket. And when I say retention, especially with how much we've hired in the last little bit, it's not like everywhere and everything, because if average turnover is two to three years in tech, if a third of the company was hired in the last year, who do we really need to be looking at? need to be really focused on employees with critical skill sets who might be at a high risk of departure, really capable leaders who can advance the company and high potential employees and growing them here. One of the things you said, you focus a lot on quality, right? In a current market of software developers, they have a lot of options. So you got to move quick. How do you balance that? Tell me what your process looks like right now. And the other thing that you mentioned, and I guess it's a two-part question, is on manager training. Do you do interview training to managers? So to answer the second part, yes, we do. But I think it could always be better. We have this slide that we go through. It's like hiring best practices. And we talk about, here's our flow. Here's what you could expect. Here's what we expect of you. Here's how to court somebody. And if you have to treat it like dating, and that's really scary. And you're putting yourself out there. And it's a lot of effort. When I think about how my husband landed me, I was like 22. I wasn't interested, but he was patient and he was persistent. And I think candidates are the same way. You can't spook them. You can't come on too strong, but you got to be like, 
I'm interested in you. Are you interested in keeping the conversation going? Your first question, can you remind me again what it was? You talked about quality hiring and there's also speed involved in there. So what does your process look like? How do you balance both? If you can over-communicate with candidates, it's like, hey, thanks so much. Here's what you can expect as the next step. Here's when you hear back from us are. And you're like having those quick turnarounds in between stages or you're working with hiring managers to be like, okay, we got to get this person in. What can you move around in your calendar so that they feel like, wow, they're interested. I've got that sense of urgency, especially if they've got many competing offers on the table. I think with most things, communication can solve everything. So that's been a priority for us. And I think too, looking at that continuity of who's communicating with that candidate, do they have like their go-to person that they can reach out to and ask questions and also have that space to court us as well, especially people that are more experienced, they're going to do their due diligence on the company. Yeah, absolutely. How many interviews do you usually go through? Probably depends on the role. I'd say for a software developer, at times, I think we've like 20 to get our heck yes person. Do you mean interviewing 20 candidates to find one? Or Sometimes. you've got your person? Okay, yeah, yeah. Them yeah. through 20 interviews. Oh, sorry, 20 candidates. Oh, we're both falling out of our chairs. What? <laughs> <laughs> two maybe three okay awesome okay <laughs> if it was 20 interviews i wanted to know your magic that you can get a candidate especially a software developer to go through 20 interviews it'd be mind-blowing around three <laughs> no, interviews. No, no. Okay. <laughs> i see why there was pause yeah <laughs> um it's really different i think if you're the one doing the reach out and you're headhunting them and they're happy and it's like you've got that casual coffee chat do you want to keep talking okay now let's get more into the thick of it And that requires a lot more nurturing than someone who's applied or they've been referred. They're very keen off the hop and you jump right in, move through the steps. I really (laughs) want to get an understand. I'm a sorcerer. And I think this is great for the audience. What are the handoff moments and what is the responsibility Mm. of the hiring manager in that sense? So let Mm. me give you a scenario. You've sourced someone, you've reached out, they're interested. What's Mm. the next steps? What's the handover look like? Does it go to a recruiter? And then how does a recruiter manage the process? Okay. I would say as the sourcer, you do that initial reach out. And by the way, a reach out should be highly personalized. I I hope that goes without saying, but I don't think it does because I'm sure you both get reached out to all the time. I do as well. And it's this general message that you know was copied and pasted. And it's like, I'm not even going to respond to that. And so it's like, hey, so-and-so, I know this might seem a bit out of the blue, but I came across your page and I found this really interesting and we're looking to hire this position. And I thought you might be a good fit. Here's why. Here's a little bit about the company. Here's where you can click to learn about the role I had in mind. You know, no pressure. But would you be open to having a coffee chat? And that person will probably say, thanks so much. I'm happy, but I'm always open to hearing about what's going on. Sure, let's have a coffee chat. In that case, that's a sorcerer. I've seen it go where this is a senior person. We need them to talk to that hiring manager. Maybe it's a director, a VP, whomever, and they're really courting them. Maybe not. It's, hey, would love for you to connect with. And then it would be like the recruiter for that role where they have that initial screen. In the case where it's that hiring manager and it's going well, what we do is once we've gotten through all the interviews, before we actually physically send the offer letter, We send out an email and it says, let's do this exclamation point with the party hat emoji. We loved your interviews. We're really excited about the idea of having you join the team. 
we're going to send you an offer. But before I do, I want to book a few minutes with you just to walk through it together. And we put together this visual offer letter and it talks about total comp and it gives them a feel for the company and the culture. That has been such a differentiator for us, especially when candidates have competing offers. A, we put their picture in the org charts next to their peers where they see where they'd fit in. They're blown away by that little touch that takes a minute, but it's really personalized. Also, if they're going to negotiate, then you get that all on the table before the paperwork goes out. So it saves some admin in the back end as well, not having to redo it. And then this flows into onboarding, but communicating with them a ton leading up to their first day. So they know exactly what to expect. And any question you might have is answered. They know where to go to find it. And they're just excited. Do you measure offer acceptance rate? We do. Yeah. What's a good number for you? Ours used to be so low. It was wild up until I'd say this last year where it was so competitive. Like we'd have maybe one or two offers declined a quarter. It's increased since then. Looking at the key reason, sometimes it was comp. Someone would just get like an insane offer that we couldn't even touch. They'd be going to, you know, Amazon or something in Vancouver or a California based company. But most often than not, it really came down to, this was a tough decision. I was so excited, but uh, you know, this product excites me or like this problem that they're solving. I've experienced it firsthand and that's why I need to go here. And they'll often want to keep the door open just in case. So in my career, and I've been in talent acquisition and HR corporate agency, I've done it all, but you're probably one of maybe three people I've ever met in my career who has a true foundation in talent acquisition, who then went Mm -hmm. on to become an executive, an HR exec. The depth of your understanding of the TA function is remarkable because it's usually the opposite. It's usually you're in HR and the HR leader has been saddled with talent acquisition. First of all, they hate hiring. They Mm -hmm. hate it. They hate recruiting they just want to do their compliance policies, procedure stuff. To listen to you talk with such passion about the talent acquisition function tells me that you're a rare breed of an HR leader. If you could leave one message to other HR leaders about the importance of the TA function or something that would be like your key insider learning, what would you share with them? Well, first of all, thank you. That was very kind of you to say it. It means a lot. In a nutshell, a lot of what it comes down to is it's easy to say, yes, you just need to continue to ensure and improve quality hiring. And what do I even mean by that? Well, you know, they have their job performance, their ramp up time is quick, they're really engaged, they're a strong core value fit. That's really easy to say. And of course, who doesn't want that? Everybody. But in practice, yeah, when you're doubling year over year in headcount, it's really hard. And when you're adding so many new managers or layers of management, whatever that is, to communicate that and for everybody to rally behind that and to hold people accountable to that standard is also very hard. And I think it takes a great deal of care and effort and attention. That messaging is that everybody's in this together. Not just talent acquisition, hiring great people is up to everybody. And I think it's really important that senior leadership be aligned with that. Awesome. You know, know, what you said earlier, if you're going to be a leader in any firm and the three things that you talked about, but being surrounded by great people who are equally Mm. committed is like once in a lifetime. I think everyone deserves at least once in your career to have that sort of experience that you're having. 
with seven shifts. Yeah. Yeah. It is remarkable. One of the biggest joys that happens is if somebody leaves the company and then they decide to come back. You know, we saw that when developers are being poached, thought, well, you know what? I'd like to learn. I'd like to try this new thing. We had three say, I tried it and I really miss seven. Just, I really miss that sense of belonging. I really miss knowing my colleagues. I, I miss the lack of red tape. It's so important to never stop being relentless about finding that hell yeah, no doubts. You're so fired up. You would die if they said, I'm sorry, I accept another offer elsewhere. How I always say this to hiring managers is think about if they said, yeah, sorry, I got another offer. If you're like, oh, okay, that's not a heck yes. If you're like, wait, come back. Let's talk about this. That's a heck yes. Or if you had to ask yourself, would you clone this person five times over? If you're humming and hawing, it's a no. Like you are confident that you would love to have five of those people because that's setting the bar for your team. And it is worth the wait a thousand times over because as you both know all too well, if it doesn't work out, you're just starting back to square one anyway. And future self will always go back and thank present self for holding out for the right person, even if it's really hard. Yes. One of the things that you just mentioned is what we call the boomerangs. And I was actually listening to a podcast, Tim Sackett was talking about the great regret, the great resignation. 50% of the people that have left are actually pretty disappointed and are maybe regretting it and would be willing to come back. Have you created a strategy or anything formal about getting these boomerang employees? Do you have an alumni type of program, anything like that? We don't have that. And I think it's so great when com- companies do. We haven't gotten there. But yeah, do we nurture those people? Absolutely. When that person leaves, we go, oh, gosh, this is regrettable. But we would love to have them stay. We definitely keep in touch. So that sense of camaraderie remains. Sometimes people are working remotely. And if they come, they're traveling to a city where we have an office, we'll say, why don't you just come work remotely here for the week? Like, we'd be happy to see you. It'd be so fun. So they still have that sense of belonging. I was just on vacation last week in Vancouver, and I met up with a past colleague who we'd love to have back. Do you want to go for oysters or whatever? So I think certainly keeping those periodic touch points, whether it's every six months or whatever, there have been times we've been out and that person will come up in conversation. We'll go, we should let them know that we miss them. And we'll just record a quick video and then text it to them. It's not a formal strategy necessarily but keeping them top of mind and having those touch points has certainly paid off. Love it. We're going to end on this last question. What do you think is going to be a major HR talent acquisition disruption in the next couple of years? I've been thinking about this so much lately as our team moves out of doubling. And this has been our trend. We kind of have a crazy year and then we have the next year to kind of like adjust and let the new jello mold set. So many tech companies have experienced hyper growth over the past year, which resulted in a highly competitive labor market. And right now on the flip side of that, companies are reacting to more volatile market conditions. And a lot of companies have now shifted to asking, how do we get to a place of higher revenue per headcount? For ourselves, and I think so many companies will be thinking the same way, is look, after you've ramped X number of people, you then have to look at the aftermath. And so for us, you know, how do we move into optimizing all of the resources, for lack of a better word, that we've added? Do we hire the right people? Did we train them and did we set them up to be productive and deliver results as fast as possible? We have so many new managers. Do they have the support that they need? 
Are people even performing? Are we even assessing them the same across different departments? Are we getting to the point where teams are effective and optimized without continuing to add a whole bunch of headcount? Are we ensuring that we're not losing our best people by providing career pathing, room for advancement, and then even looking at turnover? I would expect that it would stay flat for a while because everybody's so new. But after you've had time to assess how they're working out, maybe you experience a blip. How do you go about communicating that? I think it's normal to experience peaks and valleys of attrition and not all attrition is bad. Here's examples of what healthy turnover looks like. And so what that all boils down to, to answer your question is, as hiring slows for a lot of companies, I think that they're gonna focus a lot more on becoming more effective and optimizing what they have in-house and focusing on high performance, I think will be a trend that a lot of companies are partaking in. A lot of info in this episode, Mackenzie. So we really appreciate having you on and giving the day in life of a practitioner in this space, building a business, building a practice. If anyone's listening and wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to find Mackenzie Hunter? Please look me up on LinkedIn, just Mackenzie MCK. There's no A in there. So Mackenzie Hunter, how it sounds. Mackenzie. Amazing. Thank you so much for being so open and sharing. And I really do appreciate your closing comment. You're again, probably one of the only HR people I've met that understands the revenue per headcount optimization. That is a HR person who truly understands the success of the business. So it's clear that they're very lucky to have you and expect some of our audience to maybe have some feedback for you too. It was my pleasure. Thank you both so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.